0: Hello, welcome to the Fix Your Sex Podcast. I am your host, Amina, and um, you are here with me as I embark on podcast number three. This podcast is going to be a little bit different. It's still going to be full of sex and exploration. So if you are under 18, tune out or um, at least, you know, consult with the nearby responsible adult and um, the rest of you hold on. Um, This week we're going to talk about me and I'm bringing this up right now because I start my first class that I'm teaching next week Um, and it's an ongoing program, but it's for people that want to, particularly for women, but also for men who want to establish a regular practice of Tantric Touch. I am focusing on women who would like to go into working as a Tantric Touch Specialist Someone that wants to um, inspire love and healing through pleasure, and, and doesn't know where to start. So I'm going to help with that. Um, the more that I do this, the more that the request for information come comes in. The request, let me say that right. The requests, which should be plural, for information comes in, um, and so I just try to. I'm trying to solidify everything and put it all in one place. So people can have access, especially women can have access to the information they need to know. Information, not just about how to touch and why to touch and what to touch, but also information on who to touch, how to reach the people that you want to touch and how to not have the people in your world that you don't want to touch, how to protect your space Protect your boundaries. Establish your boundaries. Um, There's a whole host of things that goes into it. It's not just waking up one day and saying that I want to touch people for a living. I do think it's a path to financial freedom. Um, It takes some time. I've been doing this for a long time and only recently, uh, in the last year, uh, have I left my job, my full-time job with benefits and a boss and loving co-workers and some despicable ones um, that I have embarked on this journey full time, and this is my my only work source, my only income source per se. I mean, I still do some contract work and but i'm I'm really narrowing things down to just focus on a sexual healing as a full-time expression of myself. So um so yeah, I want to start with with me. Um, and, and how I got to this journey so that you can um, make a decision and see if this is something that you want to be a part of, or if you think there's room for it in your life. So for me, um, I think that my journey to become a sex worker, a sacred sex worker started at, at a very early age. I was always super inquisitive. I was homeschooled and not in the traditional sense, like Amish, homeschools or like religious my mother is not religious at all she's very hotepi um she's never been one i think we might have gone to church twice in my entire childhood with my with my mother and gone with other family members from spending the night but like my mom i can't remember a real instance of us ever getting dressed to go to church with my mother So it wasn't because we were religious that we were homeschooled. My mother decided to open up a school in her home. And so she schooled a variety of other children as well. It was a small school and she made a living that way. My mother has always been very entrepreneurial. Um, That's one thing that we definitely agree on. We may disagree on a ton of other things. Uh, But yeah, so I was homeschooled. Um, By the time I went to regular school, I had to test in which meant that um I was go- I was younger than all of my classmates because being homeschooled means that you're usually way smarter than anyone that goes to a public school. You just have the uh ability to learn more. I was reading by 3. We were we were just in a different tribe. So when I got to regular school, you know, I remember them like doing times tables, learning basic math and I was so far past that and I was already reading literature and they were you know, and they were just getting to chapter books. Um, I, but anyway, I read everything. I was so I was always too smart for my own good. I wanted to know about stuff. When I was, um, when I was a teenager, by the time I got to seventh grade, eighth grade, I well, and I wasn't a teen yet. I was like eleven, but people were having sex, and my mom hadn't talked to us about sex yet. We were way too young um, in her eyes, so. But everybody at school was doing it because they were 13 and 14. So I had to order a book. I ordered a book from Cosmo magazine. I got, took my allowance. I got a money order from the post office for the, whatever it was. I think it was like nine ninety nine plus shipping and handling and sent it in, in the mail. And they sent me the book back. I waited and waited and waited so that it wouldn't get caught. And I read that book from cover to cover. It was the Encyclopedia of Sex. I read that book from cover to cover multiple times and I would fold it up in my jeans and stash it until my mother one day, I don't know, going through to get rid of jeans that were too small for me, I guess, um, tossed found the book. And there was some corporal punishment involved. (laughs) And and then that was the end of my... um, my my sexual education but the start of my sexual revolution so from there on I was um super inquisitive about sex and and really with no outlet to kind of like satisfy that 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 inquiry no one no adults were talking to me about sex older boys would talk to me about sex they didn't know what the hell they were talking about. Um, most grown men still don't know enough to talk about sex, but, but they'll, they'll be willing. So I, um, got a chance to play with some penises and even tried to fit some in my, um, very young, youthful vagina. I remember when I was 14 trying to have sex for the first time and it was so ridiculously painful. We tried three times before we called the quits, three separate occasions. Penis was just not going to go in there. Um, and according to my 14 year old brain, I, of course, later on did lose, uh, that fear of being broken open by a penis and had uh penis and vagina sex, but it started there. Um, so I continued to have penis and vagina sex and to play around with oral and explore all kinds of things. And by 1994, I was, um, a full blown lesbian, <laughs> So, it there, there was a lot of sexual exploration. Um, by the time I graduated from high school, I knew that I really, really loved women. And so, I had to be a lesbian. Um, no one had talked much about being bisexual. And honestly, I just had not, still to this day, have not watched a lot of porn. The porn that I did watch just was never interesting to me, probably because I was already having sex and my sex didn't look like porn sex and porn sex didn't look like fun sex. But I, um, I, yeah, I figured I like women. And So I'm just going to be a lesbian. That's what I am. I, I am a lesbian, not going to be. This is what I am. And I came out to my family and my friends as a lesbian. I got a girlfriend and then I got another girlfriend, and then I was a perpetual cheater. I had so many girlfriends; it was ridiculous. But this is before I knew about ethical non monogamy. In my defense, um, I now know and have moved since moved from that space of of lying to lovers and and things of that nature. But it took a it took me to to it takes some learning, right? Um, by 1997 ish, um, you know, I was. In college, I probably was, this probably like my sophomore year, going into my junior year of college, and I um, started working as a sexual surrogate. Now, the transition from having my girlfriends and loving, loving, loving pussy, loving woman, and finding an ad... While looking for work, that's um, suggested I could be a sexual surrogate. Would I can't even explain what that thought process looked like. I really don't even know. I don't remember. It's all a blur. But I did it. I responded to the ad. I went downtown to this beautiful condo that was in on Lakeshore Drive, uh, way up at the penthouse suite, and sat down with the psychiatrist and the psychologist, and a, um, one, one was a former priest and had this lengthy conversation about how I could help, um, heal men through their sexual practice. And I was gained for it. I was there. So I started working as a sexual surrogate and I never quite felt right about it. I just didn't feel like I had enough training, enough know-how they were teaching. They were having these sessions with the clients and then I'd show up and they were supposed to practice and it all didn't make much sense to me. But I was young. I was so young. I mean, I was like nineteen at this point. Um, so, what what did I know about anything? I just thought I knew it all. Um, I, I ended up leaving leaving that work for a bit, and really went on a spiritual path to kind of find myself and find peace and find God and find love and and um, eventually I, I got married. I got divorced. Um, I got married again <laughs> and then and this is all in a very short three-year period. Um, during my divorce from my second husband, <laughs> I should have, I learned two things. One, stop saying yes to proposals. Like they're just going to keep coming in. I'm a lovable person. You will love me if you meet me. It's just how it is. I don't do a whole lot of drama. I um, am genuine. I'm interested in you and it just, yeah, it's, Just stop doing it. So I no longer accept no marriage proposals, no matter what you offer, unless you need like citizenship and we can work out an arrangement, then call me. Um, if your country's better than mine, I'll gladly give you Americanisms anyway. Um, which is most countries call me. Um, anyway, but (laughs) I digress. Um, while I was getting my divorce from my husband, I was selling my cafe. I owned a restaurant in Chicago on the South side at this time, and I was closing it. Uh, and in one of the nights before our final night, we I was hosting a women's spa day, so closed the cafe and we had all these folks come in pedicurists and pedicurist um, and you know facial esthetician and we had a massage therapist and I had researched all these women and found them, and the massage therapist I said I'm going first, and she was so amazing, she was so nurturing and so soulful and so real and so loving with her touch that when i got off the table all i knew was that's what i wanted to do that was it i had found my calling and i was just, i had that was it i haven't looked back since that was in 2003 um 2004 i went to massage school a couple weeks later um i went to massage school complete finished that up and started working as a massage therapist. I started working as a doula, um, helping massage yonies so that babies can pass through, and being that nurturing, that loving comfort that a woman needs when she's going through childbirth. And um, and then I started doing hand jobs. Uh, strange, I know, but I was working from home. Uh, I had a massage table at home as well, so I would go out and I, you know, work at different spas chiropractic office here and there, but I always had a massage table at home so that I could work for myself and make some side cash, cash that no one needs to know about. And, uh, and one day I got an offer of way more money than what I was charging if I would just jack the guy off. And I was like, hell no. (laughs) I just didn't, there was no way. Everything I had learned in massage school said, don't ever do that. Don't worry. You're going to get accosted. Just ignore it. Get rid of the guy, blah, blah, blah. So I said no. I said no to the guy the first time. And he had been a regular client by this point. He had seen him three or four times. Um, And uh, (laughs) I still talk to him every now and then when I go back to Chicago. He's since gotten married. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um... So, the next time I see him, he asks again. And I had since thought this one through and thought what my answer was going to be. So, I raised the price. I raised the price because what he offered me was not the standard going rate. And I had looked online and realized that women were making $150 or $120, depending on where, what, where they were. And I was in Chicago. and They were making this much money just massaging, giving a mediocre massage and a hand job. And I thought, well, I give a really good massage. I should be on the high end. I'm young. I'm cute. My tits point right up still. My stomach's flat. I don't have a dimple of cellulite. This is cool. So I started doing hand jobs. Um, I had a whole year of hand jobs before I found God. And when I say I found God, what I mean is I went to Hawaii. Um, I went to Hawaii in the winter of 2005 to prepare to run for the Honolulu Marathon. And as soon as I landed on the plane, I discovered what the Hawaiians call mana, and which is just this overwhelming feel of, feeling of love and this power. You just feel it when you get to Hawaii, some of you. Some people just don't. I don't know. But I did. and And I knew from that moment on that I was supposed to be in Hawaii. A couple of hours later, I quit my job sent notice from my lanai, um, of where I was staying on Ala Moana Boulevard and, uh, started, started preparing my stay in Hawaii and I moved my practice and started advertising and doing the same work in Hawaii. And it wasn't, um, too long after that, that I discovered Tantra. Hawaii has a large Tantra community and the word is buzzed around all the time and I had never heard it before. I had no idea what Tantra was. I had practiced yoga. I was an avid Bikram yogi. I just had never heard of Tantra. And so I was excited to see that there was this massage method that people were doing that sounds like what I'm doing. And it was just not. It was so different. Um, So I learned and I started learning more. And it's now um, 12 years later. From, from my move to Hawaii, and I have spent the last 12 years really focusing on learning everything I could, or everything I can, because I'm still learning, about Tantra, about emotional connectivity, about um, healing, about healing arts, about the body, about pussies, about penises, about yonis, about lingams, about spirituality and how it relates to the way that we view ourselves, um, and, and everything. I, um, I continued working, uh, when I got to Hawaii. My background was always in nonprofit management, event marketing. And so I continued before my cafe and after clearly. So I continued that work and I would work full time and have my practice of wellness on the side. So it's personal training and doing my massage and learning about tantra and then doing tantra and and then learning and going back to work and it was two different people. I had the woman that got up in the morning and got dressed and put on her makeup and tied her hair back and went to work hoping to fit in being one of few black women on the island of Oahu and um And then I would go home and I would be this sexually liberated, super free, amazing love machine that offered sexual touch and erotic playtime for consenting adults that wanted to connect more with themselves. And it was rough balancing the two. I mean, I've had some instances I had to get a, you know, temporary restraining order after someone found out who I was and showed up at my job and tried to talk to my boss and I, it, there was a lot of craziness there's a lot of crazy people in the world unfortunately but there was a lot to balance um you know I put on some pretty high macaama events in Hawaii some events that were you know we were raising a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars for one night um some events that you know cost a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand just to put on and I because of that I would see clients. Because the people that could afford me, the people that could afford my services were, you know, people of high stature and Hawaii is not a big place. So there was this other double life where I would show up at night to a night event and there would be one of my clients uh, or sometimes I had to work face to face with them and pretend like we didn't know each other. And now they know my whole name and where I work and what I do. And now I'm Googleable and it was all so confusing. It was also challenging. Um, I was dating someone that was a client. Uh, we started seeing each other, and we dated for about you know for quite some time, years. And at one point he asked me, if there's one thing that you could do for the rest of your life and money wasn't an issue, what would it be?" And I took a pause at that moment because I honestly thought, shit, I would do what I'm doing, but I knew that wasn't what he wanted to hear. And, um, and I loved him and I didn't want to hurt his feelings or scare him off. I was afraid I was living in a space of fear in that relationship. And so I thought, well, what's the next best thing? And it was my personal training. So I've always, it was, you know, I said, I would love to, you know, just be a personal trainer and private chef because I was also still doing that. Just do what I do. I love what I do. Um but the reality is is that what I want to do is this. Uh this is my calling in life. I love it. I have so much fun. I'm I am more orgasmic than I've ever been in my life. I am open to love in a way that I've never been in a way I didn't even know was possible before. Um everything is different, you know? So I love this place that I'm at and I would not want to change that for anything in the world. Um so yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell and why how I got to the point where I am now teaching. Um it was a it's like I said it's been a bumpy road getting to this point. I You have to screen people. You have to learn how to screen. You have to listen to your intuition. You have to find peace in ways that you can find peace. I'm not a religious person at all. Um, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm definitely atheist. And so for me to get to a point where I, um, you know, can find that peace, to feel peace, to experience peace in my work and in my day-to-day life, to have balance, it, it takes daily work and there's, you know, daily meditation practices and daily masturbation practices. I have to touch myself before I can allow anyone else to touch me um, or before I can, before I can impart loving touch onto anyone else. Um, there's a lot that, ha- that, there's a lot to be learned and nothing that I do is going to be the same as what someone else does. So it's a lot. There's a lot of things that people have to learn individually about themselves. So my four-week class is just, um, t- it's a door opener for those that want, that are thinking about practicing, for those that think that this might be for them. Um, I I speak several languages, but my, my language is touch. And so I want to teach um, my love language. I think that it's um, the most important thing way of communication for humans. There were studies that were done. I remember when I was in school and we talked about a study that was done in anthropology where the doctor had the babies. I think it was in Germany and there was a group that weren't touched and a group that were that a group of babies that were touched and the babies that weren't most of them died. Touch is critical to us as humans. Um, It's the first sense that we develop and and we don't get to experience it as adults. We don't get to experience an inhibited touch as adults. There's always um, there's always something else with our touch. We're, and it's, it's crazy because it's the way that we show each other how we feel. It's oftentimes one of the first ways if we don't have home training, especially, you know, if you grab somebody out of anger versus if you grab somebody lovingly, there's a, you don't have to open your mouth. The person could be blind and they will feel the energy. They will feel the difference. If you um, if I massage you in a way that's very medical, that's very like, this is, I'm focusing on this. They're like, um, what is it? A-R-T is a very medical style of massage. And that's very different than Lomi Lomi, where I am hugging your body and slowly moving your body around and around. And I am all over you, gliding with oil and and, and inside chanting to you. Like these are two totally different styles of touch. You don't have to see me touch you to know that they're very different in the way that they are delivered and in the way that your body is going to respond to them. So for me, um... That's, that's what I, that's what I'm doing. That's what I want to do. I want people to realize that there is healing power in touch and no massage school. I paid almost $8,000 for massage school. No, and all they taught me, I mean, they taught me a lot about anatomy and physiology. They taught me a lot about the history of massage, and styles of massage, but they don't connect with the spirituality of touch Um, in the way that it should be. Yes, there's some dips and dabs in it. And some schools are better than others. Mine was a very hippie school. And so we did go way deeper, I think, than most schools do. But we still separated the genitals from the rest of the body. We still approached it from a very Western philosophy that this is my dick, my pussy, my tits. Don't touch them. They're off limits. And so then you move through life and you you have shame even in your work around the genitals. You can't even, I go to get a regular massage and see how close they get into your groin. Like there's a big, you have all these muscles that connect your entire sciatic region. All, you know, your sciatic nerve is running through all of this. Your your hips are tight and you have, you have no ability to open your hips. You have no release in your hips. Um, But they can't go anywhere near that area to massage because in school they were taught that that would, uh turn you on and that would eroticize the massage. So what I'm doing in my class is A, I'm teaching a style of massage that encourages you to go all the way up to the yoni, to go all the way up to the lingam. To go all the way up to the heart. Touch every part of the body so that every part of the body is connected. Don't focus on orgasm. Don't focus on an ejaculatory response. Focus on love. Focus on being present For love, focus on offering love, on receiving love, on creating a space where your client can feel and be loved. So anyway, that's me. That's the class. If you would like to take the class, um, this four-week class, the first one is half off. So let me know and I will give you the code. Um, give me a call if you want to chat about it. After 5pm, pretty much every day, I am fully available. So, give me a call and we can discuss. Also, um, if you are interested in other classes that I'm hosting, there are, I have a whole series. I have a seven-day sexual healing program that's starting in February for Valentine's Day. Um, And All of these classes you can take at your own pace. You don't have to start when the day the class starts. It's a program that you can start and practice on your own and make it a part of your life, make it a part of your lover's life, share it with your friends. Um, I think we can create a love revolution through uh, sexual empowerment and awareness. And yeah. So anyway, again, if you have any questions, I am at ATL. Tantra.com or fearlessgift.org. That's fearless as in without fear and gift like a present Um, because I'm all about learning to give and love fearlessly. And you can also find me on Instagram at Atlanta Tantra, um, on Facebook, Fearless Giving. And you can call me. Um, Again, I take appointments via phone, but you can call me. Um, My phone number is on my website. My email address is massagehawaii at gmail.com, massagehawaii at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of uh, Fix Your Sex. And I hope that I can help you fix your sex in 2018.